Hello again. Uh, my name is Maddie. I have a twin brother that does the announcements, and it's much better. <laughs> Uh, today we are in week five of our teaching series called The Bible. And in this week we've found ourselves kind of in the halfway point. The series is going to run all summer long for ten weeks and is broken up into two chunks. The first five weeks looking at a specific part of the Bible called the, the older half or the Old Testament. And next week we'll be jumping into the new, the, the, the newer testament, the newer covenant, the new conversation with God. And so this week we're going to focus on what is going on in that old chunk, that old section that we sometimes struggle to comprehend and understand. This series is built around the belief, the idea, the desire for us to see, read, and understand what God is really trying to tell you about you. So if you've been tracking along with this series or you want to catch up, maybe go to epiphanystation.com and under the watch tab, see what we've been doing. In week one, we started at the beginning. We talked about creation and how creation tells us that we were created on purpose, intentionally, not a mistake, not an accident, not unnecessary evil. In week two, we talked about how God instituted a law, a thing that would help us understand the difference between good and evil so that we could know which one we're choosing. Week three, we talked about the weird thing about how God choosing a people, like he had a nation called Israel and now he has the church and what that means and what he does with them. Last week, Pete led us in a conversation about how God, even in his mightiest representatives like kings, doesn't desire mighty shows of self-righteousness, but desires humility the ability to admit when we're wrong, to repent and confess. And today, I think we get to talk about even one of the more obscure things that we can take our time to understand about the Old Testament. It's talking about prophets. Now, it's these things like creation and law and Israel and kings and prophets and a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament that drives a lot of us to disregard the Old Testament. It's one of those things that, like, it's just the prequel. Nobody wants to see the prequel after they've seen the sequel. I mean, why would you go and watch the Hobbit trilogy after you've seen Lord of the Rings? It's not as good. It doesn't match up. And how can it compare? Yeah. <laughs> but this Old Testament, this thing that God is trying to communicate, as we disregard it, whether it's because we see it's outdated, it's not necessary, or it's just old. Maybe we disregard it because, quite frankly, a lot of the old chunk of the Bible seems worse, and it seems harsh, and it seems difficult, and it seems dark, and it seems different, and it almost seems like God was different, and we don't want to entertain that kind of difference. What we're going to do today, and all we're going to seek to accomplish is understand why it's there why it's there in its entirety, and why it would seem that God was maybe not different, but doing something very, very different. And we understand that, and we bridge the gap between the old and the new by having a conversation about these people we refer to as prophets. Because if you look, the back chunk of the old chunk of the Bible is full of these books with people's names attached to them. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Habakkuk. And if any of you will name your child Habakkuk, I will give you $100. I would love to see a kid called Habakkuk. But all of these prophets are there because they want to communicate something really about what's gone and what's going to come. A prophet, then and now, is someone who is given a very specific message from God that he wants to have relayed to his people. 
It's usually very specific to a very specific people at a very specific time. And it can be uh, predictive about what's going to happen in the future, or it can be kind of revelatory, like revelatory, in that it's kind of what's happened or currently happening. It can be words to share, it can be a vision, it can be a story, whatever it is. But it is usually at a time when things are bad. It is usually at a time when God's people have maybe lost direction and maybe they're letting evil run rampant. And so what we're going to look at today is one of these people, is one of these prophets. His name is Isaiah and Isaiah was born at a time, lived at a time when God's people were very much choosing anything else over God. So he had a very specific message to them. A very specific message about how he was going to discipline his people, like we talked about in week three, but also how he had a grander plan in mind, something that he was going to reveal to the whole world about his plan for a world that had gone awry. So we're going to be in this book called Isaiah, and you can follow on the screen behind me with the text, but if you want a Bible, you don't have one you understand, we have a stack of them at the welcome station as a free gift to you for being here with us today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And verse nine, and chapter 9, verse 1, it kind of starts off after God's spoken about this discipline of his people. He says this. He says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness now will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And now he speaks specifically to this light, of this light, what it's going to do. It says, as the light, it will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. Because of the light, they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, or like warriors dividing the plunder. For this light will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. The light will break the oppressor's rod just as it did when it destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and the uniforms, bloodstained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. There's a lot there. And as we kind of unpack a lot of that and what God is trying to communicate, the big picture of what Isaiah was telling the people is life's going to suck and it's going to be dark, and it's going to be desperate, and it's going to be depressing. And in that contrast, in that backdrop, on that dark canvas, you are going to see God's true plan, his genuine aim, his genuine goal for us to see a great light, a light that will take us out of darkness, a light that will lead through justice and fairness, wonderful counsel, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and all of this pointing to a place in the middle of nowhere called Galilee, a place we talk of a lot around Christmas time, and about a boy, a boy, a son that will be born at some point that will be this great light. And 800 years 
After Isaiah spoke these words, there was a boy born, a son. And we come to know him as Jesus Christ. Now, this seems to be very difficult to kind of take creation and law and Israel and kings and prophets, and then we seem to fast forward and boom, Jesus is on the scene. But that was the prophet's job, was to help people understand and bridge the gap and see that everything that happened back here was God crafting the plan. Because the plan was to help people see the need for the plan. The reason that a lot of it seems dark and a lot of it seems disjointed, a lot of it seems harsh is so that we would see that God has a plan to do something about it and we would know the need and the want for it. Because God's plan is to save the world. God's plan is to save the world and we will never believe, never follow, never understand, never see the need for this saving plan without knowing that there's something it needs to be saved from. But right here, God promises a new world a new people, a new promise, a new covenant, all centered around this Son, this Jesus Christ. And so he set the stage. The Old Testament sets the stage. The prophets set the stage that when everything is wrong and you know that it's wrong, it is easy to see what is right. So here's what the Bible is trying to tell you about you. What the Old Testament is trying to tell you about you. In a world where we choose what we want. In a world where we make the plans and we make the decisions and in a world where we move where we want to go, it will suck. It will genuinely be bad. And it will be a world that seemingly is full of darkness and dogged by despair and sometimes we don't understand how did it get so dark and how did it get so bad. All of the Old Testament and all of the story that's written on the life you've led is to show you why. Because it is a world created by us. And in a world created by us, things like slavery exist. In a world created by us, we have to stomach the fact that a term like sex trafficking exists in our day. In a world created by us, people are seen as an inconvenience, a problem. Some are treated like meat, some are treated like cattle, some are seen as disposable. In the world that we've created, war between people just seems quite normal. In the world that we've created, hunger in a world of plenty still exists, and oppression is the norm around the world, and all of us expect at some point, one point or another, to be used, abused, and abandoned. That's the world created by man's plan. That's a lot of the world that you see written about in the Old Testament. It's a lot of the world that you see around you, where we have decided how it will be. And quite frankly, we've done an exceptional job of driving out love. Driving love out of relationships, driving love out of our connections, and driving love out of our lives. And so God's promise through Isaiah is even when it's that, and when you can see that it's that, that's when God's plan becomes more obvious. Because his plan was always to put love first. His plan was always, if we followed it, that we would experience peace and joy and hope and purpose. And we would know, not think, not have to tell ourselves, know that we are genuinely loved. Unconditionally. 
in our relationships they would be centered around commitment and patience and grace and we would genuinely sacrificially love one another we would know that God loves us and we would know that we love him but the reality of so many of our days is we don't trust that God loves us although we love him well a lot of our relationships are more likely to end than persevere a lot of our relationships are more hallmarked by anger and frustration and division. You have people, we have people, everyone has people that they just kind of hate. And we exist in a world that now more than ever feels lonely. And people feel genuinely unlovable. We wrestle in reality with fear, depression, anxiety, hopelessness and pointlessness and self-hatred. Thanks for coming. <laughs> That's the reality that God is trying to communicate. That's what it looks like when we create the world, when we create our own world. And the reason that he's trying to communicate it is, you know deep down that's not right. No matter your view of yourself, you know you shouldn't be treated that way. You know you shouldn't treat others that way. You know what is right. You know that love should come first. And so God against this dark canvas in which we look around and we see nations perishing, communities perishing, families perishing, relationships perishing, and people perishing, he says, that's what happens without me. That is what is always going to happen on a global scale and on an individual scale within you without me. So all the days of your life that have been written, just like all of the Old Testament, is to point you to something different, to something new, to something better, to something right, because it doesn't take an Old Testament prophet to tell you something's out of whack. You know that. And if you know that, and you know it's not supposed to be, then surely a good God would do something about it. If a, the supposed good God who created me on purpose, who made me with the option to turn from evil so that I could be one of his people and make him my king, he would make a way for things to be right. Everything we believe about God hinges on this. Everything that we might say that we believe about him being a good God, a loving God, one who cares to inter interject into human history and into my life personally, all hinges on this. If something's wrong, a good God would do something about it. If something is evil and dark and desperate and despairing, a good God who loves me would make a way to save me from it. And so we come back again to the core text of this teaching series. The thing that we're trying to understand week after week after week, deeper and deeper and deeper. Not just a t-shirt, not just a bumper sticker, but what God has said about his plan to save us from it. About his plan to do something about it. John three sixteen through 17. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Everything God's ever done is so you would understand that. All of God's plan and all of his prophecies and everything he's done is trying to tell you this. The millennia of people that have come before you, the generations before you, 
the 39 books, 929 chapters, 24,145 verses of the Old Testament is so you can understand two verses. It's so you can understand the most simple thing he's ever tried to communicate. That without him, it is wrong, it sucks, and it's dark. And with him, it can be made new. For his plan is to save the world. And the plan that he's tried to reveal is he planned to save him, save you, through a son. Through a child that was going to be born in Galilee, where everything would be filled with glory, and all the oppression, and all of the hurt, and all of the war, and everything disgusting that we come into contact with, would be beaten. Everything so that you would know Jesus was born for you and that he lived for you and that he died for you and that he rose for you and now he lives forever for you. All of it for this. All of it so you know the most important question you'll ever be asked. So you know the unavoidable, non-optional question that God asks everyone of his creation. Will you believe? Will you believe in the plan? Will you believe in the one that he has sent? Will you believe that God has made a way? Our challenge as we wrap these five weeks up before we step into next week's conversations about Jesus is to ask ourselves, do we believe? Do you believe in the plan? And if you don't believe in the plan, what's stopping you from believing the plan? What's stopping you from believing God's plan? What's stopping you from taking the next step to believe in the plan? Because to be part of the plan, it is necessary to believe in the plan. And so everything else that you've tried, all of the alternatives to fight the darkness or just to downright embrace it, will you believe in an alternative? A plan that is going to give you light and is going to give you wisdom and is going to have a mighty God, an everlasting Father and a Prince of Peace behind you and alongside you. All of it comes to culmination right there. Will you believe in the plan? As we wrap up our conversation, that's the only thing I really want you to consider. That's the thing I want you to take with you. That's the thing as you walk out of here into the foyer, outside, into your car, go to lunch, go to dinner, hide from the disgusting smoke that's trying to kill us all. Thank you very much, Canada. A simple this. Do I believe the plan? Now, did my parents believe it? Don't let my kids believe it. Do I believe in the plan? If we can do anything to help you wrestle with your doubts, your worries, your concerns, or maybe even you want to make a decision to believe in the plan, that's why we're here. That's why this church family exists. So if you're there in that place or you want help in any of those ways, I challenge you to let us know. Communicate with us. One of the ways that you can do that, as Pete pointed out earlier, is our amazing connection cards. These are found wherever there's a red box in the facility. Grab one of these, jot down a detail, simply say that you have questions or that you want to know the plan or understand the plan or follow the plan, whatever it might be. Drop it in a red box and we'll be in touch because we believe there's nothing more important than this question for you to answer. Maybe it's more pressing than that. Maybe it's something that you want to talk about today. As we wrap up this conversation, this experience, our prayer team will be down front. You see a person standing down here looking at you, they're not doing it to make you feel awkward. They're doing it to give you an opportunity to come to them, an invite to be able to come and talk to them about the plan, to have someone pray for you, to have someone talk with you, to make a meaningful relational connection, whatever it might be. Because as we wrap this whole thing up, 
even as we talk week after week after week, your entire life hinges on this. Does God want to see this happen? Did he do everything he's done so this would happen? Because that was his promise that he would. Isaiah said, it is the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies that will make this happen. That will see change happen, a light in darkness, a change in your life. Now, as we wrap everything up here, we want to give you something to do as we do often as a family to really tangibly remember what we believe and affirm it. We're going to take communion together. And depending on your experiences with church or communion, this might be a confusing thing to you, so let me explain. Communion is something we do because Jesus told us to do it. He said, often take the time to remember what you believe in and why you believe it. So he said, I want you to take something to remember what was done to make the plan happen. Because what was done was Jesus was born and he died to pay a penalty for everything we've done to create the world ourselves. Everything we've done to walk away from God. And so he gave his body and he gave his blood and everything about him to sacrifice for it. So what he said to do is, I want you to take bread and I want you to take juice and I want you to actually eat these things as an affirmation, as a remembrance of the plan, of the rescue plan, of the salvation plan and what you believe in. So if you want to take communion with us today, that's the only requisite that you believe in the plan. The way that we have it set up here is that it's on the corners of the stage here. We invite everyone to come in kind of to the central two aisles here, make your way to the corners, grab it, head down back on the outside, and then just take a seat. And you can take it whenever you want, but I really challenge, invite you to make this a part of having a conversation with God about the plan, about what you believe, about your purpose, about how you are made for good, to be one of his people, to have a heart that's made humble. The music team will play a song, followed by another one to give us time to sit in that, if we want to, a time to sing in response, if we want to. That you get to choose what you will do with this question around God's plan for your entire life. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you seek a desire to make it understandable and simple, that the only thing that you desire of us is belief. That we would believe what you've done, and that what you've done was for our good. Help us to not get too caught up in the things that we think excuse us or disqualify us from your love. But instead that we see that everything that you've done, the days, weeks, months, years, and decades of our life has been so that we could understand the saving plan. Help us not to thumb our noses at the dark times and the harsh times and the difficult times as something that was wrong and unnecessary, but as something that was to help us see. So God, help us to make that decision today of what we will believe in and then live like we believe it. In Jesus' name.